I am so excited today to be talking with a top-notch movie and TV industry animal trainer. Today we're going to be talking with Frankie Joris about all the amazing things she's done in the film and TV industry, the types of animals she's trained, the types of circumstances she's had to deal with, and some of the interesting characters she's met, as well as her philosophy about animal training. I'm so excited for this episode. So welcome to the 14th episode of the Kathy Keats Show. Let's get started. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today, Frankie. You are such an amazing trainer, and I know there's so much people have to learn from you. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Well, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about some of the amazing things that you've done in your life. For people who don't know you, you're one of the top trick and movie and commercial animal trainers in the U.S., You've done amazing stuff with agility dogs in their training and the way you develop them. And uh, I think people don't know you well enough to realize that you've worked with Disney and all sorts of different amazing things. So why don't we start out with talking a little bit about some of your movie work and some of the amazing stuff you've done on there. What's some of the most interesting or exciting work that you've done in the movie industry? Um, Well, I've, I've, I've done a lot of television. I've done a huge amount of Sex and the City and Law and Order, which if you've watched any television in the last 20 years, you have seen my dogs work. There's just, there's no way around it. Um, And you probably are not even aware of it. It's been a dog on the sidewalk or a cat in a back alley or a rat in a, in a, in a gutter. Um, I've done, action adventure movies with Angelina Jolie. I've done comedies with um, Robin Williams. And and it's usually these animal parts that people aren't even aware that there was an animal in the movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, just a ton of stuff. One of my favorite movies that I did was Salt with Angelina Jolie, where the dog was a very small but pivotal role. Um, and he had to, run away from an explosion with her and climb out a window. Well, he was in a backpack, but they actually, she does her own stunts. um, And he was in the backpack with her on the 17th floor of this apartment building. And, um, you know, we've done all kinds of things like that. So you've really been able to be able to work with some of these stars and even get advice from them. What's some of the best advice you think you've ever gotten to, for working in that industry? People think their dogs are trained and they aren't really for a movie and yeah. TV. I was really fortunate and I did not realize it at the time, but when I was a little kid, um, I interviewed the tra- Frank Inn who, who trained Benji. Um, he was doing a press conference for Benji when it was released. And that was a big famous movie when I was a kid. And um, I actually had a private interview with him and he was just, he was like, you want to train dogs, kid? It was like one of these old time, you know, cigar chomping dog trainers. He goes, treat them like you would treat your friend. You get mad, you get mad, you get over it, you go on. And um, it didn't mean anything to me at the time because I was, you know, I don't know, 11, 12. I didn't have a dog. I wanted a dog. Um, but 
I think that's a lot of it because I train dogs and I don't have to make a method. I don't have to say, this is my method. I do this. I always do that. I never do this. I use a clicker. I just have to get results. Um, I think he was right. I treat my dogs like I treat my friends and um, they're really part of the family. And we do things very conversationally at home. They often get away with murder, but when it counts, they are expected to work hard and they always do because I expect the same things out of them that I expect out of myself, which is when we relax, we relax well. And when we work, we put everything into it. But I didn't know at the time when I first interviewed this guy that that was like actually sensible advice. (laughs) Then I went through the whole like dog trainer thing of reading all these dog trainer books and like, oh, you have to be very consistent and dogs only understand one word commands and you have to do this, you have to do that. And then it was like, no, 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 you have to use clickers. No, you have, and you know, all of this to find my way back to, no, Frank Inn was right, basically. So Frank Inn was a a Hollywood dog trainer and at the very end of his career at that point, he was a real gruff uh, old time trainer But he really loved his animals. Um, You know, I'm sure by today's standards, people could pick apart what he did and say he did this wrong and he did that wrong. But he had a wonderful connection with the animals. And um, and he gave me really good advice, which was, you know, treat them like you would treat your friends. That's cool. That's really cool. One thing um, I remember years ago when I was also interested um, as a kid, I loved Benji and I loved animal training. And I remember reading about him, um, you know, really teaching the dogs to act. So not just sit and do this and do that, but things like look afraid if they needed to because, you know, someone was trying to catch them and stuff like that. And I noticed in one of the clips that I'd seen of your work that you were able to do that as well as sort of teach the dog to kind of crouch down. And, you know, it's amazing how really the really great trainers, it's beyond just simple move here, move there. They actually get the dogs doing an element of acting. Yeah, you you start out um, much like a human actor starts out with taking classes in movement and learning how to use their body. But um, ideally, it morphs into them understanding how to take freedom with what you're asking them to do and, and go with it, which, you know, and, and just sort of improvise on their own. Um, but yeah, I, I do, you know, with dogs, I will teach them things like put your tail up, put your tail down, you know, different, different body positions and things like that, that initially look very stiff and, and fake and all, and now all that, but they slowly get into the feeling of, Oh, this is what we're doing. Um, you do have to give them a lot of freedom, though. You do have to trust them. And it's not just the dogs. It's whether you're working with pigeons or cats or dogs or whatever. You have to trust them to be part of the team. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly controlling, no, you have to do this exactly the way I want you to do it, they'll never have that freedom. You'll see sometimes, you'll see, um, usually in these sort of late-night infomercial ads, the dogs look really stiff, like they're staring off camera at the person, you know, that's telling them what to do. 
And those are dogs who are just following orders. They're like, they may be completely trained with cookies. I'm not saying that they're like corrected or anything like that, but they don't have that sense of freedom to, you know, experiment with what they're doing. Right. Well, it's funny. Um, when I think about that type of idea of the freedom to be able to work within what you're talking about, um, when you see really great animal actors, a lot of people look at the, watch the TV and think, like, my dog could do that. But they don't realize <laughs> all the variables that go on. I remember I was training a dog for um, live theater. And we were on the rehearsal day, the um, dress rehearsal, and the dog had to go out on a catwalk that was two stories up and they suddenly introduced a smoke machine. <laughs> the dog couldn't see anything, yeah. And so the dog wouldn't go out because it couldn't see anything. And they're like, where was the dog? And you're like, when were you going to tell us about the smoke machine? Yeah. Um, so, you know, all those, you have to be so flexible, so quick to be able to train because, you know, the next night was opening night. And so we had to work with them to A, get the dog used to the smoke machine and B, to adjust the smoke machine so the dog wasn't blind going out on this narrow catwalk, you know? Yeah. So talk about how you deal with when things suddenly just go sideways and they're changing things all the time on you. Yeah. Well, I've had some really, um, some funny ones, like a guy, a, a job where the guy is like, well, the dog just has to bark at a door when somebody knocks on the door, which sounds really simple. Like something that every dog will do right run to the door and bark at the door but it was on a set so on a set there's no room there's a door the dog can just walk around it and so to teach the dog that they have to run to the door and bark at it even though they could really easily just go around that door and see what's on the other side of it <laughs> you know and from a dog trainer's point of view, that's really obvious. But from the director's point of view, it's like, oh, well, dogs bark at doors if people knock. They're not thinking that's not why the dog barks at the door. The dog barks at the door because they want to see what's on the other side. Right. And if they can see what's on the other side, they have, you know, it has to be a trained behavior to go and jump and bark at the door if they can already see what's on the other side. I don't, I do very little print work, but early on I did more of it because I needed the money more when I was younger um, was a job where the dog, all the dog had to do was stand. That was it. Just stand still. And I get to the job and they're like, yep, just have the dog stand. All the dog had to do was stand. She had to stand still for like two to three minutes, but just had to stand. I'm like, no problem. This dog's a utility dog. She can do this. I go, I stand her and the guy's like, can you make her stand? I'm like, she is standing. And he's like, that's not standing. Standing is on two feet. <laughs> so obviously a dog standing still on two feet is a very different thing. They move, right? They, they, don't, they can't balance on two feet for two to three minutes. Yeah. Um, and we did manage that one by having her very gently put one front foot on a very thin um, lucite bar so that she could counterbalance and they could, they could get that. They could remove that in the uh, editing. Right. But, you know, you get these weird things. I did a, a play at Lincoln Center with called 12 Dreams where there were these doves that were one of the nightmares and they were supposed to erupt from this girl's stomach and fly off in six different directions, six doves. Well, birds fly together. 
flying <laughs> six different directions. <laughs> they don't want to go in six different ways. They want to go up and fly together. That was a, a real challenge to get each bird to go separately for a very brief moment. And then, of course, they all had to converge together so that they would come back to their um, holding cage. Right. And that's hilarious. hilarious. So then somehow you morphed into dog agility and have trained some of the fastest dogs out there (laughs) over the years. So how did that kind of come about? And what Um, did you, how did that change your thinking in terms of training or did it? um, It didn't really. Um, It came about, I always, did competition stuff with my my own dogs. I did obedience when that was the only game in town. And um, then when when agility started, I thought, well, that would be kind of fun. But at the time, I had a Springer Spaniel who, I what I always said about him is, if he could do well in agility, then the sport was misnamed <laughs> because he he couldn't really walk down the block without <laughs> tripping over his ears. So so I studied it a lot at that point, and I watched Clean Run, um, sold VHS videos of the world championships, and I bought the videos when they came out, and I went to Clean Run camp. They had a, they had a big camp every year, and I, would, I went, um, and I learned everything I could about agility, and then with my next dog, I started training the dog for agility. Um, and because it just seemed like the next thing to do after I'd done a lot of um, obedience, I'd done some, I'd done tracking, I'd done field work, I had done obedience. Um, and um, so I started doing agility and then um, I wasn't going to teach it because I felt that I didn't have the level of expertise I needed to teach agility but I was running a small Norfolk Terrier at the time and there were a lot of Terrier people who bullied me into teaching because they wanted to um, work with somebody who understood non-traditional breeds and agility. And so I started teaching and um, then I, and I still have both traditional and quote unquote non-traditional breeds. I still have a small terrier and I have border collies. The border collies were accidental, but I have quite a few of them. Um, everyone, you know, everyone's like, oh, you sold out and got border collies. But I actually got a partner who had border collies and gave me a few and they're great dogs, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm doing agility. I need a border collie now. And you also deal with all kinds of other animals too. Never mind all the different breeds with dogs, but all kinds of animals. And that's, that's something for me when people are so worried about, oh, I have this, you know, I have a, a whippet and it's really hard to train because it's not a golden retriever or whatever. And in my real line of work, it's like, oh, you have a dog. It's right. it's a dog. It trains like a dog as opposed to training a turtle. Right. <laughs> so the difference between training a whippet and training a golden retriever is really small when you look at it, compare it to the difference between training a dog and training a turtle or training a dog and training a cat. So for me, it's like, yeah, this is a definite difference between training different kinds of dogs, but it's not a huge difference. Right. The difference between training an animal that has no motivation to work for food or toys or, you know, social rewards, that's that's a whole different kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting when you think about training 
different animals and training methodology. Of course, the movies have the statement at the end of, um, you know, the movies, no animals were harmed. No animals were harmed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, dealing with all different kinds of animals, this is just a side note. I was working on one thing once and um, they had maggots Mm -hmm. and the vet had to be there to make sure that the maggots weren't mistreated. Yeah, absolutely. And we, (laughs) and we take it really seriously. Um, You know, they're, they are, they are putting in an effort and you may hate them in real life, but they're there and they're working and they're getting paid just like everyone else. And they need to be treated, you know, as well as possible while they're there, whatever happens, you know, however you feel about maggots in the rest of your life is a separate (laughs) thing. (laughs) Well, you can't really start otherwise, um, creating lines, right? Like, well, this one's okay. And this one's not okay in the movie industry, like how, or the TV industry or whatever you, you know, how would you say, yeah, well, this animal's yeah. okay. And this one's not. So you can, you know, treat this and one. People try. I, it's gotten much better early, early on when I was first started, I, I was doing an, an ad for um, toilet paper and it was supposed to be fluffy soft. And there were these little, um, you know, day old chicks and they were supposed to pop through the center of the toilet paper roll. And that's fine. Not, not a problem. Toilet paper roll is very short. They pop through it. And the uh, advertising director thought, well, if we got a bigger tube, we could put a lot more of them in it. And I'm like, they'll suffocate, and die. Some of them will just die. And he's like, yeah, how much are they worth? You know, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. And, and I had to put my foot down and be like, no, absolutely not. These animals are like, doing this work for you and you know we're not going to like just sacrifice them because they cost 50 cents each or whatever that's not the point they're like actual living breathing animals that are working here um yeah yeah, so that's but but now that is much less i'm sure that there's some idiot somewhere who would still say that but that is much less common than it used to be i wouldn't be allowed to come across that yeah, it wouldn't be legally. It would be mm-hmm. not allowed, but um, yeah, I haven't come across that mentality in a really long time. Um, so there, there have been huge improvements, and uh, that's that's been a really good thing. Like the way animals are treated across the board. Uh, I really love you know it's having an American Humane officer on a movie set is an optional thing. But more and more movies and television shows do request it. And it's, and it's great because they're actually an advocate for the trainer. They're there to help you. So they'll act as a middleman. If you're uncomfortable with something that directors act asking for, you can always say no, but it looks a lot better for you if the humane officer says no, because then you're just used to look like the good guy and the humane officer is like, nope, we're not doing that. Right. Yeah, and, well, there's and, certainly power in numbers, right, when you have people yeah. advocating for certain things. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and there's certain, like, and, and and sometimes it's just nice to have somebody else explaining it in a different way. So it's not, it's not the director thinking, oh, you don't want to do it because your animal isn't well-trained enough. Right. Um, we recently did a job, and it was a wonderful director, and there wasn't a problem, but we, but the dog had to go through, um, live traffic. It was all stunt drivers, but it's still, it is nerve wracking Mm -hmm. when your dog is 
running through traffic. <laughs> you know, there's no, it is, you know, it is, it's stunt drivers and everything is incredibly choreographed. And there was never a time where there was an actual car near the dog, but having, you know, a humane officer there being really strict about, you know, I knew she was on the other end of the street, making sure that there was nothing that could go wrong. We had people everywhere that were actual animal people so that it wasn't just the stunt drivers. And, you know, there were actual humane officers watching every bit of the part that I couldn't see. Cause I could, I could only see the parts where I was. Right. Um, right. And, you know, there was literally never a moving car that came closer than 30 feet from her, but it was such a, you know, it's so, it's such a comforting feeling to know that there can't possibly be a mistake at that point. If yeah. The dog starts going in the wrong direction. There are, there are humane people that are watching it and they're like, stop, stop this car, stop that car. Um, she never did put a foot down wrong, but I knew that if she had, nothing would have happened to her. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they're animals. So even as yeah. well trained as they might be, I mean, they're animals at the end of the day. And that's what directors always joke about is movies with kids and animals, right? Or TV. With yeah, kids exactly. <laughs> you just never know. I, I, you know, you, you can't. And I, and I'll always say that people are like, well, will the dog do this or the cat? And I'm like, I've trained the animal to do that, whether they will do that or not. It's an autonomous being. I, you know, and it doesn't yeah. speak our language. So let's hope, you know, it should do it, but I can't guarantee it'll do it. But mm-hmm. um, well, we, um, one time we're working on a set and um, we were working with, uh, it was the sheep dogs and we had to put sheep in certain spots. And so they said, okay, you're hired, show up this one day. And, you know, so we waited all day. We had to bring all the sheep. The end of the day, they're like, okay, put the sheep here, put the sheep there, put the sheep there. And so, no problem. And we did it with really quiet whistles and all that. Um, and at the end of the shoot, we thought, you know, we'd done this great job. At the end of the shoot, the director comes up and goes, you're hired. <laughs> because they had so many bad experiences with people saying they could do it and couldn't. Yeah, that, that is. They were willing to hire us for a day to make sure we could. <laughs> I think that that is, and I think whether it's um, trainers for competition or trainers for film or any, or trainers for just pet and behavioral things, one of the things that drives me crazy are people who, um, you know, oversell what they can do and underproduce. It's just sort of let your work do the talking for you. Mm -hmm. Well, it affects the industry and the respectability of the industry, doesn't it? It does. It it does. I, I do. I spent the latter part of my career really doing a lot of fixing work of that kind. So, and, and my agent at the time would, you know, she would, we would get a call for a job and she would ask me if I, if I could train the, the dog or whatever to do it. And, you know, often the quote that she would give them would be much higher than other agencies. And she would, she just had a good feel at that point for what, what people, and she'd be like, ah, go ahead and keep training them because they'll call us back when the other, when the other animal doesn't turn out to be able to do it. And, uh, right. and so often that would happen, you know, we had that, you know, a dog would, would totally have a meltdown on the set and they would call us and go, so about that dog, could we still get them to do it? <laughs> 
price just tripled. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, you still have to pay for the two weeks training and we can have them there tomorrow, but we still, you know, yes. Right. <laughs> so now you're doing a lot of work in the trick space, in the trick industry. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing with your business right now. So I am right now, I am doing a lot of, I'm starting to do um, online trick classes and uh, trick seminars, traveling around doing trick seminars. I absolutely love doing trick training because it's a chance for people and dogs to work in collaboration. Um, unlike competition where there's a set rule for what the dog has to do and how they have to do it, you can start teaching a dog a trick. And if it goes sideways, you can be like, oh, well, that's a kind of cool trick too. You know, absolutely. And, um, and it's, it's just, the person is often much more relaxed when there's no, you know, rules on the line and the dog is having more fun and, and, it's just it's just a great way for for people and dogs to bond and to get a good start on training because it's not just about the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, we we do a lot of things that are really fun tricks and fun for performing and things like that, but they have a secondary purpose of possibly some of them help with the dog's stretching or physical fitness or or building core strength. Some of them help the dog with uh, things like being less worried about having things coming over them or, or being handled at the vet's office or, you know, just all kinds of different secondary uses to their, to their tricks. Uh, Absolutely. And their confidence and all that as well. Yeah. I, I, I teach this one trick where the dog sits still and they basically you do ring toss over them. You throw these big foam rings over them. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a slow process to teach to dogs that are shy or scared of things. Right. But um, once they learn it, they're much more confident about all kinds of things, like having you know, people walk by them, having loud flags you know, flapping, Having having the vet examine them, go, things coming over their head, being pet, having little kids come by them, because they've learned that things flying past you and over you are a high reward thing, and that it's a really fun thing, um, and it's and it's all done so lightheartedly that the dogs really really enjoy it. I had a, a funny request at a trick seminar I just did of a woman who. Uh, in the evening, she te- she lets her dogs out in the in the yard while she's watching TV, and she has the door open. And she's like, "It'd be really nice if they closed the door behind them, so that when they came back in, I wouldn't have to get up off the couch." <laughs> <laughs> and she was she was kind of joking about it. And we did in the in, in about a fifteen minute span taught them how to close the door at the seminar. We taught them how to close a door that was there. And, um, you know, and she was absolutely thrilled because now her dog knows how to close the door when he comes in from the backyard at night when she's watching TV. Oh, that's um, hilarious. So, so it's just, it's just so much fun um, to see people and where they go with it when they realize that there's kind of no limit to what kinds of things they can do. The other thing I find too, that when you train the way you're talking about, 
Um, sometimes people might think it doesn't apply then to their, say, trick training sport, but what they don't realize is it absolutely does because that creativity that you're putting into it makes a more enthusiastic worker as well as they have a more motivated worker. And if you can train all the stuff you're talking about, the tricks and the trick training type programs would be really easy to do. But without that seriousness, it so often shuts dogs down. Oh, yeah. It just it gives them a whole enthusiastic approach to, oh, we're doing this really fun thing together. And it does carry over. And um, and and just they just have a blast doing it. Although sometimes people, I, I did a, a, this is, this is sort of an aside, but it is a funny story. I did a commercial many years ago in which, um, a dog was loading a dishwasher and then closing it. And, uh, and then somebody was, was say, was, was telling me, well, you could, yeah, you could teach them to take the dishes out and put them, put, put them away. And so I then shot a video of, of my, one of my border collies, Kiss, taking, the dishes and putting them on the table and it's a really funny video but I think you know you can't really do it in real life because you get a lot of drool on the plates <laughs> yeah the whole point of cleaning them would kind of be <laughs> yeah I'm like I'm like yeah it's a really cute video but no I don't actually eat off the plate after she's done that it's like I've taught her I've taught her to take ice out of a bowl and put it in a glass and then and then fill the glass with water, but I don't actually drink it afterwards. As much as, much as I as much as I love her, it is a really funny trick. But she she doesn't make a really good bartender. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! Well, one of the things I think is important to make the point is that the stuff you're teaching. It are the, all the foundational pieces of being able to train anything, like whether it's agility, whether it's tricks, whether it's, and train them to a high level. I mean, that's, I think sometimes people get so focused on doing what they want to do, like whether it's agility or whether it's tricks or whether it's hurting, that they forget that a lot of great training comes from kind of all the fundamental underneath bit of not just it's kind of in horsemanship they talk about that people are getting so niched out right now. They're in, you know, so deep in a certain niche that they're losing the horsemanship, so to speak. And yes. I feel like that's happening in the dog world a bit too, where we're we're going down such very definitive tracks in what we're doing sometimes, so specialized that we're losing that general dogmanship, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I th I think that is very true, and I think also that. Some things in 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 all sports, I think there's some there, what what we call foundation exercises are really similar. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a mistake to call them foundation exercises because that sort of implies that you do them once or you do them at a certain age and then you're done. Mm -hmm. And I think of them more as what sort of in gymnastics used to be the compulsory exercises. It's the thing. Same phrase. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's just, it's something that they should be doing all the time. And all the dogs, you know, it's not, it's not like, oh, you do it. It's not one and done. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's so much more in common between the dog sports than different. Yes. But yeah, we do get niched out to the point, you know, that um, 
what's considered distance in agility and what's considered distance in retriever trials is, you know, almost literally a mile apart. Yeah. Or what's considered distance in herding, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and people don't look outside of their box. So, you know, I have a person in obedience doing a go out and going like so hard to get them to go that far. And I'm like, well, why don't you talk to some people who do retriever field trials and ask them how they're getting their dog to go in a straight line that far? Right. Because they're going, you know, way further. Mm-hmm. But they're but but people just get very stuck in, in one in one way of doing one sport and they don't look at the other sports. Yeah, it's quite cultural because I've found that even um I find uh having been in the agility world and in you now in the herding world, um there's sort of a cultural approach to training. And so what happens is um, like in agility, quite often you'll have dogs that are highly motivated, but they don't have great control over the dogs a lot of the time. And the dogs are maybe not in the best mental state. They're not in drive. They're frenetic a lot of the time. And yeah. in hurt, you can have the opposite problem where people don't know how to motivate dogs. Yeah, so I can see when that. you take the skills of both, though, and you blend them, you can see that you can get a more balanced type of approach to uh, the dog, you know, based on the dog that's in front of you. Yeah, and they need both. Mm-hmm. In, in, in both. In both sports, they're going to need both. Exactly. And yeah. in, in everyday life, they're going to need both. Yeah, it's all about reading dog body language at the end of the day, regardless of what you're doing. And making sure that you have an enthusiastic worker, right? That's under the c- kind of control that you need for the activity that you're doing. Yeah. And I think, I do think a lot of people in agility in particular, um, especially with their, their first serious quote unquote agility dog, have this fear of destroying drive. And they have, and, and, what they perceive as drive is just the dog be, I don't want to say bratty because the dog doesn't know that they're not supposed to behave that way. <laughs> and, and to be a brat, you have to know you're behaving badly. They yeah. don't We're anthropomorphizing for the sake of yeah. illustration. <laughs> dogs are, are somewhat out of control. They don't, right. they don't have any self-control. They don't know how to just take a deep breath and look around and say, you know, just, just relax. Mm-hmm. Um, they're spinning and barking and running. And what do we do now? What do we do now? And, and, and I come across, you know, a fair amount of, of handlers who are just like, I don't want to squelch his drive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, his drive to do what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're not really teaching an off switch in real life, and they're almost doing a disservice to the dog because it never relaxes. It gets into that yeah. almost like this cribbing, you know, along uh, a stall or something. It's like they get addicted to the adrenaline. Yeah, and I and I talk about that a lot when, with with puppy people. And like one of the really fundamental skills that your dog has to have if you want to do well at some national event is the skill of being able to travel quietly and well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Definitely. you're going to put that dog on a plane and go and stay in a hotel and all that, and then you want it to do well at nationals, one of the things you have to teach it is how to be fresh and relaxed and ready to run at nationals, which means that you need to teach it all those skills, how to, how to be calm and relaxed and travel and, 
and just chill out in a hotel and, and, you know, in a plane and all those things. And it's not just all running all the time. And that's something, you know, animal actors have to do really well. You're, you're on set and they may be on set for 18 hours. And as soon as they're, the camera's not rolling, they have to just shut down, go to sleep because the next time it's rolling, they may be working for, you know, however long running or doing whatever over and over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. then they need to, sh- they don't have that. Oh, I'm really excited. I'm in this place and I can't settle down. They have to settle down right away and get their rest when they can get it. It's kind of, it is kind of that idea of the ability to have that self-control and yeah. still be an enthusiastic worker when the time comes. Yeah. And it's so important. And um, I mean, for in my business, it's it's non-optional. It's not right. just kind of important. It is not optional. Because if your dog has exhausted themselves before they get on set, you're screwed. <laughs> really? You know, it's not like, oh, gee, I didn't cue today. It's like, you're not getting hired again. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in the herding world, that's true in the sense that the dogs have to be able to, say, ride on a quad bike, get out to where they're going, um, just sit there until told, and then they have to be ready to work when the time is right to go. And they've got to be sensible sensible about it because there's lives at stake. There's animal lives, there's the handler's yeah. life. They can't be silly. But if a sheep starts to run and you need it caught, they need to like, they need to go. So there is that balance between the mindset. It's interesting. Um, I talk a lot about this in some of my courses is the idea of what I call the intangible mechanics. And it has yeah. to do with the mindset of the dog. You know, there's the mindset of the dog, there's the relationship with you and there's their level of motivation. And if you don't have those things, you are going to struggle in some portion of your work with that dog. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with dogs, but even with other animals. With I, I don't feel like a dog is really ready to work on set and be a good actor until I can take them out of the car off leash and they're just going to stay with me. 100%. Um, and I don't mean like because I told them, heal, yeah, stay down. Exactly. They're just like, like we're, we're walking over to the set together and they're walking with me like, what are we going to do now? You know, we're, mm-hmm. they, and, and at that point, when they can do that and then I stop and I'm talking to the director and they're just lying down at my feet waiting to find out that I'm like, yes, this dog is a settled dog who's ready to handle all the kind of work that we're taking on. Or if it's a little dog, I'll, I'll hold them because they get stepped on, but that's another, yes, you know, just a separate story. Um, and for some <laughs> dogs, that's, you know, that's when they're eight or nine months old, but for other dogs, it's, you know, when they're two or three and you can't push it. Right. Um, and they may do work before that, but they're not really, you don't really ever feel comfortable like, yep, I can 100% trust you. You're going to be, you know, you yeah. got my back on this. I, I, a real, it was a silly ad for Glass Doctor um, that uh, Kiss, my oldest sporter colleague, did where she had to run down the street, just run, run down a sidewalk and just full speed run down a sidewalk. And they did it from all these different angles over and over and over. Again. And every time she would run all the way down the street, and then she would stop and lie down at my feet while they reset the angle. And she did it over and over. And they were just like, 
wow, you don't even have to tell her to lie down. I'm like, you stopped rolling. There's nothing happening. You know? yeah. And she's like, I said, I said, she's been working at that point. I think she was like seven years old. I said, she's been working for six years. She yeah. knows when you're not shooting. <laughs> she's, she's like, what is she going to waste her energy on? Because you, she knows the next thing you're going to ask her to do is run, 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 run. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, you know, one of the biggest, hardest lessons I probably had um, early in my career, I was heavily into agility at the time. So my dog was, you know, pulling me everywhere on leash kind of thing, pulling me into the ring, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. And I had a top trainer come up to me and say, you know, no one's ever going to take you seriously as a professional trainer if your dog's pulling you everywhere. And at the time, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I was doing well in agility. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it would be fine. It'll be fine. And I really started thinking about that and started paying attention to who really had the great dogs. Very few of them had their dogs pulling them into the ring (laughs) or pulling them anywhere for that matter, right? And at the time, I was sort of offended by the comment, which was silly, but I was. But anyway, um, but, you know, I kind of really thought about it. The reason I was offended is because I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you couldn't. I, I know, right? I, and that changed yeah. my thinking a lot in terms of not only my own approach to training, but in terms of my understanding of professional training is a different level of thinking than just my dog can run fast around an agility course. Yeah. Well, I know on a, on a personal level, you and I have talked a lot about my youngest dog, who's been a real challenge um, mm-hmm. and has had a lot of issues, shall we say politely. And yeah. I, I, I bought a picture um, from a show, a trial photographer of her. And he was like, he's like, I looked up the number that you said, but are you sure that's the picture you want? And um. It's a picture of her walking to the line with me on a loose leash. Right. And, and, you know, I was like, I have a million pictures of this dog doing a running dog walk and jumping. And the dog has endless physical skills. But boy, did we kill ourselves for her to go through a crowd on a loose leash and walk up to the line. (laughs) You have no idea. Exactly. The victories aren't always what everyone thinks they are. Yeah, I mean, she looks calm and relaxed, and she's just like, "Yep, we're just walking over here, do agility." And I'm like, "That's the picture I want." And for him, it's just like you know, he always takes a picture of each team at the beginning of the series of pictures, so that he knows where each set starts. And he's like, "Nobody buys those pictures." <laughs> That's great. I love that. And I'm like. I was like, wow, we finally got there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so true because that's when you really know you've got the relationship, you've got the mindset, and you've got, you know, the kind of dog that you want as a teammate. Not that you're trying to hang on to, but they're the teammate with you. They're doing their part of the job. That's it. And it was so, it's just been for her, it's been a real challenge. And I always knew she could do it, but it was just like, this is bigger challenge for her than for anyone else I've worked with. And I was like, wow, we actually have a picture proving she can do this. You know, and that's a key point too. I mean, each dog is so different. None of them come perfect out of the womb and it's, they're each going to have their own challenges. And too often I think people judge themselves by they get the really good first dog and then the second dog's got challenges and they think they're terrible. 
but it's like, you know, you, you just got, you, you know, got those one in a million, your first dog or early on. And oh, for sure. now you know more, you know more. So you see the holes quicker and it's just not quite handing it to you on a silver platter this time, but it's okay. It doesn't mean you're bad trainer. It just means welcome to the dog training world. And I also think that, um, we need to be forgiving of ourselves and our dogs because mm-hmm. I think that it's it's really easy to see what's wrong with a dog. Well, he needs to get this. He needs to get that. But it's like, think of all the things they're doing right yeah. all the time. And they're, they're, dogs are always doing the best they can. It may not be great. For some of them, it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it is... It is the best they can do at that time. Yeah. You know, I, it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, that dog is disrespecting you. It's really hard to believe that a dog would take 16 of the obstacles on a course and miss one just to piss you off. I mean, yeah, yeah, just exactly. to annoy you. It's like, no, yeah. you know, that, that would take so much thought. And I don't think <laughs> the dog is that smart. My dog's not that smart. Yeah, exactly. They're smart in a lot of ways, but that's not the way yeah, they're going not, after it. Not not that way. Yeah. Yeah. They're not they're not looking at it and going, Wow, this is this is double Q number twenty on your mock. I think I'll drop the last bar because that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely not thinking in those terms at all. And to your yeah. point, I mean I think it is important to recognize that we have to handle the dog that's in front of us. And what I always find is interesting is you know, you go through a dog's career and it is easy to focus on the things that are wrong because those are the things you're obviously working hard and they're often the bottleneck and, you know, whatever you're trying to achieve. And I find the irony being is when you look back at that dog, you realize how good it was. Yeah, it is. Uh, and and flip side, I have, I have one dog who is, and I hesitate to say this because whenever I say this about her, people... Not you, but other people are like, oh, I have a dog just like that. And, and, and I can tell you, you don't. Um, in, 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 in 50 years of having dogs, she's the smartest dog I've ever had. And by, like, she's nothing like any of the other dogs I've ever had. Um, and I'm really glad I have her. And I'm really glad I didn't have her before because mm-hmm. I would have, she, it would have been a disaster. And mm-hmm. I don't think I ever want another dog like her. <laughs> I get um, what you're saying. I do yeah, get it. I, it's just like it is it's a lot. It is mm-hmm. I was really I have her children and her grandchildren and they are lovely smart dogs, but they are not as smart as her and it's really nice to have just her and be like I you know, <laughs> there's nothing I can't do with her but but it's it, you know, it's like be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it's like a chess game every day. It's exhausting. <laughs> yes, yes, all the time, all the time. And, and the she, her her language recognition borders on being as good as that of my parrot. Not quite, but it's it's up there. And you know, and and she, there's nothing she wouldn't do for me, but there's nothing she wouldn't do for herself either. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and, and those are, you know, those, it's a fascinating thing to have a dog who's really, really smart, but I'm really glad it wasn't my first dog or even my fifth dog, because I would have been like, you know, dead in the water, just dead in the water. (laughs) I would have thought for sure that this dog was, you know, 
disrespecting me and doing this on purpose and trying to, and it's just that her brain is working overtime all the time, like figuring out everything to a whole different degree. And uh, everyone says they want a smart dog and you're kind of like, actually, you really don't want one that smart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want, you want a moderately smart dog. And if you really want a smart dog, get a, get a monkey, get a parrot, you know, and then, then you'll reconsider this. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Well, you've given us so much amazing information and (laughs) such incredible stories. This is incredible. And you've got um, a great free email series uh, that people can sign up for, right? Yeah, I have a a newsletter. And if you sign up for it, you get uh, two weeks of of right off the bat of, of tricks and and fun activities you can do with your dogs and um we have a new feature on it now that's that's called the lobster shack because one of my dogs is called the lobster which um just highlights my favorite small businesses um and with many of them are giving us special discounts for readers of the newsletter and that's been kind of fun and really popular and uh you can subscribe to it and We've been having a lot of fun with that. And people have been sending me lots of pictures of their dogs doing the tricks that they're learning in the newsletter. And that's super fun. Yeah, because you're interacting with everyone who's involved with it, who replies to you from it, right? Yes, I am. I am. I mean, so far, I've managed to keep up with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. I'll make sure that the link for that is in the show notes so that people will be able to access that and find you and thank you so much for uh being here and sharing all your knowledge and stories with us it's been absolutely fascinating well thank you for having me be sure to check the show notes to get the link for frankie's free newsletter where you'll learn all kinds of tricks and read more of her fun stories about all her adventures in the movie and tv industry and learn about her trick training programs also, make sure to go to kathykeats.com forward slash support the show, where you can sign up to get notified of new events, new podcasts, new blog posts. And if you'd like to buy me a coffee, you can do that there too. So thanks very much for joining me. And I look forward to having you join me in the next podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye.